Hello and welcome to Victory Points. I'm Becca Scott, and this is a podcast about people who love tabletop games interviewing other people who love tabletop games about the tabletop games they love. <sighs> one breath. You can only do it in one breath. My guest today is Rob Manuel. He is an expert on niche media content creation in tech, gaming, and has helped to run many successful blogs, vlogs, podcasts, and editorial online media. He is the writer and creator of the newsletter Perfect Information, The Art of Content Creation. He is the manager of curation for Indie Mega Booth. And if you saw the We Are Booth at the E3 Industry Trade Show in Las Vegas recently, Rob was a key mind behind making that happen. We met Rob when he was the editor-in-chief at Geek & Sundry. Welcome. Rob, that was a, that was amazing. That was a quite an intro. Uh, Rob pitched, "Hey, I'm talking to some guy named Rob today." <laughs> I, I, you know, honestly, that's what it comes down to. I, I think of myself as like secondary or sometimes even tertiary to everything else that like we need to like talk about and put out because there's there's so much like really fun stuff and there's really good stuff in the board game world as well as content creation, people making things. So I always am like, I will take a step back. I will be like the stage manager to whoever else wants to take the spotlight. So thank you for that. I think you, I consider you sort of, I'm going to get my Game of Thrones reference in real early today. Really? You're like a three-eyed raven of gaming. You just understand everything that's going on and sort of absorb all this information and and are just a resource. I I, I something like that. I think I just spout out things that most people just question me about, but they kind of nod their heads and like move on. I think that's more like it. Very much like the three eyed raven. raven. Exactly. Yes. Both both iterations we've met. Yes. So our topic today is going to be a little bit meta. We're going to be talking about tabletop content creation. Yes. What is the ideal business model? Blah, blah blah blah. The ideal business model for sustainable content creation in tabletop, uh, and who should be paying for this content? What it, it, does the golden age really mean? It, it's just a lot of it's a lot of different things, and I think that uh, actually. I have a question for you to just start off with. Like, um, sorry, Rob, it's my podcast, and I ask it's the questions. <laughs> too late. We're already on this train, and I'm taking you with me. Where do you go to actually find out anything about like tabletop games, or like do you like follow people on Twitter? Do you is it Facebook? Like, is it just someone like throws a game at your head, and like hopefully like it doesn't hit? Like, usually games are thrown at my head. Um, I rely on information coming to me, but uh, I do subscribe to many newsletters, actually, and I'm excited to, that I've just subscribed to yours. Well, unfortunately, my newsletter will only help you if you want to make things around board games. So I don't talk about nope, board games don't want to. In, in the newsletter, but I like... Unsubscribe. Me, unsubscribe, completely. <laughs> don't, actually, you don't even need to subscribe. You can like look at the past like archives and just you know, get whatever you need out of those. But uh, yeah, I don't even get paid for any of like the newsletter stuff. It's absolutely free. Uh, MailChimp is, it's a free service. Anyone can start making their own newsletter. I would highly encourage everyone else to start doing it as well. So why do you do it? I do it. You're not getting paid. I do it because of the, so I created the name. The name of it is called Perfect Information. And in board gaming, uh, in games in general, there's two types of games. There's games with perfect information, and there's games with imperfect information. Games with imperfect information have hidden, there's hidden information or information that is not known by all people. So something like poker, where you can sort of hide your hand and people don't know exactly what you're going to do next. 
while perfect information is something like chess. While you don't necessarily know what your opponent's going to do next, you know all the pieces on the board, and you know every movement that's happened since then. So perfect information sort of gives you a level playing field in the world, in the game itself. So you can better equip yourself to make better choices like in a game or make better choices in the kind of content that you're creating. So hopefully that we can sort of like, you know, rise up all of these content creators and help them to create something that's really amazing and really special because there's so many like different voices and new people out there who don't know where to begin or they are in the middle of things and they don't know where to continue. They sort of hit a plateau. Like this is a very interesting time for content creators as well as board gaming, I think. Awesome. Love that. Uh, to continue on the newsletters that I do read, Board Game Geek has yes. an excellent one. Yes. Love it. Follow it avidly. Uh, shut up and sit down. Oh, absolutely. Of course. Uh, absolutely. Quinn's messaged me to invite me to Shucks and I couldn't go and it what? broke my heart. Because oh, uh, I've never met Quinn's, but I am in love with Quinn's. Don't tell my husband. Um, and I have a Google Alert set for the word tabletop. I have a Google Alert for tabletop, for board games, for mm -hmm. D&D, for Ooh. RPGs, for TRPGs, and now for indie games. So Dang. To, to get back into to all of that. That's a full inbox. I, it's Well, it's just one list. They give you all one thing and it has like, it, it goes for several pages. Yeah, but that's right. I love Google Alerts for this reason. They're Google, very thorough. It's it's fantastic, and it's and it's kind of it's kind of remarkable because like one of the things that um, that people have been talking about, or something that's sort of come up, is that there's no sort of like one source necessarily for the information for tabletop games, or that there's nothing that's very very easy to digest. Uh, Board Game Geek, of course, is I think like they're the front runner in that field. They're usually a front runner field. You can find out like what is the hotness, but it's not necessarily like it's it's a lot of forums. It's not the easiest thing to navigate. Uh, but I do enjoy some of the videos that they've been putting out. Like they have like a once you know uh, the top ten of like what the hot whatever the hottest is that's coming along. Uh, I really love their playthroughs. Like I think they're doing a lot of great things with the the content that's coming out. But it's also a lot of like here and there and they're also you know talking to people who are your main you know core audience your board gamers the people who are you know hitting most of your kickstarters as it were as it was coming out and so the question comes to be like how does someone where does someone go if you're new to the new to board games or new to even RPGs or, you know, just curious, where do you go to like get interested? Right. Where's the gateway source of information? What is the IGN of board games? <laughs> Geek and Sundry. Well, that was, yes. <laughs> I mean, yes, it was Geek and Sundry. That was exactly when, so when I started Geek and Sundry, or no, I didn't start Geek and Sundry. When I started the website for Geek and Sundry, when they got me onto the website of Geek and Sundry, let's, let's, let's. When you became the editor in chief of Geek and Sundry. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to do was sort of become like the IGN of board games. Yeah. Because that's something that helps to bring people in, helps to sort of, you know, you don't know, have all the answers, but at least you can point them into the direction where they can find those answers. And it even validates what we do, this passion we have, gives a, a, a an entry point for many people. Oh, yeah, I think so. And it, it, gives, it, it gives people a lot of ways to sort of get into board gaming. So I think 
there's a lot of there's a lot of great stories in board gaming. There's a lot of great people who make board games. There's a lot of history in board games that's just not being told or people just don't quite know about. And I feel like that's like, as long as you're giving more people pathways into whatever you're doing, then you're going to bring a bigger audience to them. And so I think that's, that's one of the things that I've been encouraging other people to do is to, you know, you know, previews are fine. Reviews are fine. But like really the heart of it is that you need to find like the human connection. It's, it's hearts over cardboard for me. Yes. When it comes Ooh, to, I love that. When it comes to board games, because it's something that you emotionally can connect to. You can emotionally can connect to, you know, someone like barely losing a game. Uh, you can, you can connect to like someone like, you know, winning out of nowhere. You can connect to like that, that lucky draw or that lucky roll that comes into it and sort of like get into like the middle of the battle. I was actually, um, I was watching uh, Command Zone. I love Command Zone. Jimmy Wong has been a guest on this podcast. So good. So uh, Game Night specifically, yeah. which is the yeah. series within the greater podcast and channel. Yes. And I actually watched their newest one. Uh, don't want to spoil it for anyone, but it is, they do such a great job because you you see you see the game that's in front of you. But and we should mention what the game is for yeah, people who don't know. If I don't talk about Magic the Gathering enough, this is Commander, which is a specific format mm -hmm. of Magic the Gathering. And Jimmy Wonk does this show with Josh Lequai on, it's a podcast and a YouTube show. And I believe it is on uh, our network, Studio 71. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. You should probably go listen to or watch it or maybe even do both right now. Maybe not at the same time, but... Or when you finish listening to this podcast, yeah, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I find it it's... They do such a great job because you they have these cutaways where a card gets put out. And even if you're not familiar with magic or if you're familiar and maybe you're not familiar with the cards because they usually play through like new sets and new decks... Or very, very old ones. Or very, very old ones. Then they'll give it context. They'll be like, oh, this is this is going to be trouble. This is trouble right here. We have to get rid of this card as soon as possible. Or like you see they, they'll, they'll take a turn and they'll be like, oh, man, that turn was just trash. I couldn't do anything during that turn. I don't know how it was going to be. Or like, oh, no, someone's getting their engine up and running. And they go through like the steps of like what they need to do in order to win the game. It's like, if they do this and this and this. And it's not just, when you say cutaway, you mean that unscripted TV style confessional booth. Right, right. It's something that which you- Which is <clears throat> difficult to do because you have to take notes, you have to sit them down, you have to ask them, okay, respond as if you're in that moment and describe this right. feeling. <laughs> Here, here's the moment, here's what was happening. Like, can you take yourself back to that place? Make sure you're using present tense versus past mm -hmm. tense. And make sure that, like, you still have, like, the energy afterwards uh, to talk about it. And they do such a great job. And I feel like uh, something like that, as well as, you know, Tabletop did a very good job of, like, having those moments as well where you have the people, like, sort of, like, come out of it and be like, oh, I think so-and-so is going to be winning right now. Or, oh, man, so-and-so is, like, taking it over. I have to get, like, so-and-so on my side of the team. Or, oh, my God, what is so-and-so thinking about? And Tabletop, I assume everybody who would listen to this podcast has probably seen an episode of Tabletop, which well, why don't we go was done by it? Geek and Sundry. The host is Will Wheaton. There were, oh, was it three or four seasons? I feel like it was four seasons of Tabletop. Uh, yeah, we'll go with four. I we'll believe go with I'm four. In, I was in one episode, and I believe that's season four. Right. Uh, and that's the only time I've had to do that confessional style, which is 
difficult. <laughs> what was it, what was it like for you doing the confessional style? Oh man, well going back and watching that episode, when I first started doing Twitch in general, I sort of had this bit that I would play up of being the worst. Mm-hmm. Um because it was kind of like no one knows who I am, I need to have a thing. <laughs> Uh, and then it became being evil stopped being funny to me when Trump was elected. Um, <laughs> and just being called the cheat and the worst was also not a good feeling. Um, and it's... when I go back and watch that episode, I was playing way too hard into that. Mm-hmm. Um, because also because of the other guests. Uh, mm. <laughs> and so, but my experience of doing the confessional, element of it was like, wow, I know this really drastically increases the production value, but it is something that is difficult to capture. It, it makes is. it a way more complicated shoot. And it, and it does, but it also, it helps people to contextualize what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the game is there, but really the, the real game is the people on the outside. Yes. It's the people around the table. That's the game. Not necessarily what's in the middle of the table. And I think... Um, it's one of the things I like to see that creators start to focus on is, you know, the human element is, you know, it's, it's not what you bring to the table. It's who you bring to the table that really matters when it comes to these things. And it's, it's like that drama that sort of like people getting into it, those people like playing, uh, just having fun with games. I mean, you see, even I've, I've watched videos of just games that I would never have picked up in a million years, but you see people just having like a blast and just having like a good time. And you see the the connection between them around. And it's just, it's just wonderful. And I was like, oh yeah, I can completely see myself playing this game now because I want that experience. I want to be a part of that sort of group versus like what you're actually, you know, doing on the table and figuring that out. Absolutely. And with Game the Game, that's always my intention is to Mm -hmm. show how fun gaming is. But I also want to transition a little bit into a topic that Rodney Smith recently brought up on. He is uh, the creator of Watch It Play. He is now um, on Board Game Geek as they've they've hired him to do uh, a series called Table Talk Back and he does other videos for them as well. So that's really awesome because he's one of my favorite people to watch in the space mm-hmm. of tabletop content creation. Worship him. Um, and he's a lovely human being in yes. person, which is very obvious in his videos. Like, oh, he's yeah. just the sweetest he is, he, I've, Canadian... I've, I've met him uh, a couple of times. He's just very nice. He's yeah, just very... That, like, stereotypical Canadian, like, oh, oh, you're just the sweetest person. He Got is. It. He's wonderful. Um, and he recently was talking about this in a video of Table Talk back of asking viewers what they think about how videos are paid for. And if a publisher pays for a video, is it then, you know, corrupt or whatever. And very specifically, what I do is not reviews, very clearly not reviews. On this podcast, I can talk about my real true opinions of things. Sure. But... Uh, But but there is this thing of like, oh, well, you're selling out if you get your video paid for. It's like, do you want this content to exist (laughs) or not? It's it's a very the problem is, is like it's 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 a long history. Like there's a long history of this before this even happened. Uh, What do you mean by this? One of the things that, you know, like looking at this is like video game market or Ah. media is one of the places that you would think about sort of this stuff. And you have to look at sort of video games in the past and like how they sort of like come up through through the years. And there's been a slow sort of like video game marketing has sort of like 
grown with video games. So at the very beginning, like video games, video games used to be sold in the electronic section of stores. And so whenever you wanted to... Versus re- like the entertainment next like to the, the movies. Like the toys or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You remember, you know, back in the day, Sears, uh, in order for Nintendo to get Sears to sell the Nintendo in the toy section of the store versus the video or the electronic section of the store, they actually had to create a robot. So Rob the Robot uh, was... Good name. Cr- was was created so that they could sell it as a toy because it would have this toy-like robot next to it in order to have the entertainment system. What was Rob the Robot? Rob the Robot. Made by Nintendo? It was made by Nintendo so they could sell it in Sears. And it was this thing that he had like one game where he had tops that he would balance. It was very rudimentary. Uh, You can find them now in... uh, uh, Smash Brothers. Uh, oh, amazing! <laughs> he's one of those. Uh, he's one of those guys. Uh, but back in the day, like it, since it was sort of like in the electronics store, they would have people who would review toasters and vacuum cleaners <laughs> to review video games. Oh no! Well, no, and and so you get that sort of lingering. Like if you are reviewing a toaster, it's like, well, this toaster is red. It can hold four slices of bread. It takes X number of Watts. It, you know, it toasts pretty well. It's pretty quick. You know, it cleans up fairly well, things like that. seems like you could write reviews for toasters. I could, but what happened was a lot of people took those reviews and they put it to games. So this game has X number of levels. You get, you know, you can get such and such playing time out of this. This game costs X number of dollars. You can play this with X number of people, uh, it takes place in these sort of realms, things like that. And so people talked about games, and I feel like they still kind of talk about games in sort of a toaster level <laughs> uh, where we are talking about, well, how many pieces does this come with? Well, how are the quality of the cards that we're going to have? What is the board? How easily is it? are we able to put it back into the box? Well, those things aren't insignificant. But... But it is the core of what you are getting with the game is how you're going to interact with your friends. Exactly. what quality of interaction that's going to be. And it's one of those things that now, like, you start to read a lot of video game, like, people start, like, moving outwards where it's like, oh, this is the experience of the video game. Or they'll start talking about, like, how how this game works in a sort of broader sense. How does this work in, like... Uh, the culture that we have, and that's and it's something that I would love to see, like more board game uh, creators, and some are very much getting into it, where they are talking about like this is how this is how board game affects my life. Right. This and is how I experience this board game. What is the cultural context? Exactly. There's a lot more that I want to get into into with you, Rob, uh, and we will just after a short break. We'll talk about the golden age of tabletop and what you can do if you want to become a content creator or if you want to up what you're doing right now as a content creator. So we'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Thanks so much to Rob Manuel for being here with me. Rob, you're such a brilliant mind, and I love talking to you about this because you know so much. I, 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 I know some. <laughs> you could go on about toasters and ROB. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, 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 yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. It's uh, being, this is uh, E3 just happened uh, a little while ago. Uh, this was my 15th E3. What is E3 for someone E3 who's never heard of it? E3 is the Electronics Entertainment Expo that takes place in Los Angeles. Why isn't it E squared? Uh, because the... Wait, it, it, it's E-cubed, not, E-cubed. E-cubed. It's not nearly as as fun to say as E3. Uh, you don't have like the big three and the big E and they sort of look like each other. And mm. I don't know. It's the, it's the marketing. You'll have to ask the marketing over I there. will. I'll send uh, a strongly they, worded email. Indeed. Uh, but it is it is sort of the place if you are coming out with a new video game, it is they have uh, marketers and meetings and they have people who come out with like, this is what we're doing for the rest of the year and sometimes even next year. So Microsoft, uh, Sony, Nintendo, all the big sort of publishers come out. They'll talk about what they're doing, what they're excited about, what you should be excited about. And then you get to go to this floor where it's like five rock concerts going off at the same time. And it's it's loud and it's bright and lights are flashing and people are going all over the place. And it is it is a spectacle. Yeah, very much more so than, say, a tabletop convention in that it's about the tech abilities. Um, it's 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 a lot of getting people excited about. About the worlds in which they are creating. So it's sometimes not even about the tech. Like Fortnite has a huge booth at E3. And it they have Fortnite there. They have a game that you can be at home right now playing. You can play it on your phone as you're waiting in line to get into the Fortnite booth to play more Fortnite. But in there, they also have... Uh, Places where you can take pictures with some of your favorite characters. You can do the dances, and there's like a little game that like uh, decides how well you did the dance, and it'll score you on what you did, and they'll have like different things. And so it's more about like creating the community uh, around the games uh, more than just Ooh. like showcasing the games themselves. And you also you do see that at you know your you know your origins which is also going on yes currently it's been a busy month it is a super busy month for gaming but you also see some of that where you have like these large booths where you'll have dioramas or you'll have big statues of like certain characters coming out like wizards i think does a fantastic job uh at pax uh they i remember one year they took over the uh theater that's just like around the corner of pax and it was they would decorate it in the style of like the newest set that was coming out that that season and uh they sort of try to transport you into that world so it's not just like a game but it's also like an experience, a, an experience where you can experience it with other people you've never met and start a conversation with someone in line that also is super stoked for War of the Spark to come out. Exactly. And that's the whole that's sort of the fun of like gaming. That's the sort of the fun of like board gaming as yeah. well. It's you where, mentioned community. So let's yes. tie it back to tabletop sure, and talk. Uh, I want to talk more about uh, what you have learned about content creation. And if someone comes to you saying, why is not my channel working? Sure. What what would you say to them? I would say it's probably not you. Okay, so let's let's break this down. So yeah. let's let's say you happen to have like a YouTube show or series that's going on, and you've probably noticed that your numbers have going down, 
or maybe you have a blog online and those numbers are kind of wonky and you're like, well, you know, about three or four years ago, this was perfectly fine. But now things, you know, just aren't working the same way. Right. The way that people are paid through advertiser revenue on YouTube has as everyone, most people know, well, I mean, that's been well, yeah, exactly. That's the analytics of that uh, and the algorithms of that have been changed so that content creators make a lot less than they did right. five years I ago. I mean, it is it is the the adpocalypse uh, <laughs> that most people have have worried about. Uh, the adpocalypse is a notion that people have have brought up, in which uh, a lot of advertisers left YouTube for a span of about maybe a year, close to a year. Uh, because of the way that YouTube puts advertising on different videos. So it's not that you as an advertiser, so let's say you you make you know crunchy cereal. So you are Captain Crunchy cereal that's going out there and you want to get your Captain Crunchy cereal in front of like you know men from 15 to 25. Uh, you would go to YouTube and you wouldn't pick out the shows. You would just give them a pile of money and be like, okay, see how far this goes. For a certain demographic. Exactly, for this demographic. And they would find out that some of these, you know, v- or some of these ads would be on videos that were not right or videos that they don't want to associate with their ah. cereal. And so everyone started pulling their advertisement back in in a way that not just hurt Was YouTube. part but- of that... Um- that really big guy, the blonde, what's his face? Paul, that, Paul Logan. Paul Logan, who who had content with a dead body, or was that yes, someone else? That you you are absolutely correct. And that started. That was one of the things that, that sparked was, this apocalypse. I mean, that's that's one of the things. Uh, there were also other things. So another thing that people are, have been doing a lot on on YouTube is that they have AI machines make videos now. In Terrifying. Order, I've seen a TED talk about this. Children in, fall into this horrible in algorithm. Or, but they do it a lot in order to basically get other AI machines to like sweep over them. So it's basically computers making videos for computers. <laughs> and so they'll get clicks that way. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a lot about that. It's also about, you know, Paul Logan, about, you know, some of these creators who can go out to places, take do things that they shouldn't be doing and, you know, get not punished for doing them, but he was later punished. He was kicked off. He was demonetized. The whole demonetization thing is also a very weird thing. Right. If anything slightly political, it, yes. it can't be monetized. Logan Paul. Thank Logan you. Logan Paul. <laughs> Whatever. Who cares? Uh, but that guy. Uh, but the but part of it is that it used to be a long time ago. Let's 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 take it back again. Bigger picture going into the history of everything. Back in the day, if you wanted to advertise about something, you go to your local paper, you put an ad in. Oh, those quaint days of and of you would past. say, "Hey, you know, come to you know Captain, you know Captain Cap- Crunchy cereal. Captain Crunchy cereal. Uh, we're having a sale. Uh, <laughs> there was a store specifically a store, for Captain Crunchy it could cereal, be. <laughs> and you would know exactly who you're giving the cereal to, and or like who's reading the paper because you know the subscribers and things like that. Well, the internet comes along. And after a while, they're like, oh, man, there's all these different places that we can start our advertisements. So now, you know, Captain Crunchy Cereal is going off to a website that it likes. And it's like, well, can I advertise with you to do this? Sure. Well, that takes a lot of work and research. And you have to know, like, who's watching and stuff like that. And so Google says, hey, uh, instead of 
doing all the work. Why don't we do kind of half of that work for you? So you tell us who you want us to focus on and some of the people you want to get this eyeballs in front of. And, you know, you give us X amount of dollars to get Y number of people to open this up. And we'll do it for you. So now describe you, the eyeballs you would like. Exactly. And so now you're sort of decoupling the content away from the advertisements. And so now you're not, you know, you're not getting sponsored by, you know, Captain Crunchy cereal. You're, Which, if they would like to sponsor Victory Points, we're you know, more than welcome. Exactly, Captain Crunchy cereal. It's crunch on your tongue. Uh, they just have to put it out there. And so that sort of goes into the ether and they get the clicks or the eyeballs they want, but the people who are making the content don't necessarily get the money that they need or they used to get because everything used to be coupled, the advertisement used to be coupled with the money that you were bringing in. So now that you can sort of circumnavigate this uh, deal, uh, same thing works with Facebook. Uh, Amazon's looking to do the same thing. Basically, all this money uh, and all this advertisement, it doesn't depend on you know the content you're making or anything like that. You can just skip all of that and go directly to the consumer, which is both great if you're a marketer, if you are you know a serial sales seller, then you're you're doing great things. You're sort of cutting out the middleman, but now the middleman who's the content creator is. And you're specifically referring to when a video is sponsored within the content itself. Um, no, like uh, the the ads that you would see beforehand. So you get fewer, you know, you you get a little less money because of that because now they can just send it wherever they need to go. So they know exactly how many like eyeballs are going into it. Now sponsored right. videos is something that you know people are having to sort of depend upon in order to sort of make up that lost revenue, as well as, you know, Patreon and Kickstarter uh, that a lot of people are also using to get money as well. Yeah. So, okay. So there are different ways that content creator can fund their channel. Yes. Uh, and it can't be just YouTube ads. It's not sustainable. You can go to publishers, offer them the ability to sponsor or to fund you in some mm -hmm. way. But And there's a lot of complaints where people say, well, I don't want to have any sort of bias in the content I watch. I want you to be completely supported by people that... Pay, pay through Patreon or through crowdfunding, right. but that's kind of impossible because as Rodney Smith talks about, two to three percent of your viewers are who is going to donate. And so that's a very small amount uh, for the amount of content that needs to be created to get a big enough audience to have that percentage actually be enough to sustain a person's life and livelihood. So it's this very cyclical thing of like, well, that's kind of impossible to do what what you're asking me to do to be completely untainted in whether or not you, I have any advertisers is, at all. It is it is it is very difficult, and it also uh, will go back to Rodney again. I and I'm glad he pointed it out. Uh, when you are depending on the audience to sort of fund what you're doing, you're also playing to the audience. Mm. And so you see this very much in uh, video game, uh, in some like video game uh, reviews and things like that, that they'll be very negative on something that's very positive. Because oh, yes. net, they know they'll get people to, to click on it or come visit them or be, be like, oh yeah, this is this game is dying. That outrage factor of, what? No, it's not. Or, oh my God, there's drama here. Yeah, exactly. And people just want to feel like they are, people like to be right 
on the internet. Yes, and they also like intrigue and drama. If everything, like, read this article about how the Earth is completely okay. Exactly, the environment's fine. Don't worry about recycling.、It's, like, oh, cool! I won't even read that then. <laughs> it's it's sort of funny. We so back long time ago. Not the case, by the way. <laughs> We're all dying on a dying planet because we've poisoned it. Anyway,、uh, <laughs> sorry. Long time ago. Long time ago,、uh, back when I was back at a、uh, G four. Uh, one of the one of the things,、uh, and you were Olivia Munn. Yeah, when I was Olivia, no. <laughs> uh, back when I was back at G Four, I took over the features editor、uh, for the website、uh, because I wanted to tell these bigger stories. I wanted to look into bigger questions that we possibly have, and so one of the questions that I had was, why do people get really mad at reviews? Ooh.、Um, because that was our that was our bread and butter. Like I worked at I was on X Play, and we would just have just terrible.、Uh, you know, we would have hate mail for a review if it was even if it was a good review. It was be like, oh, this isn't high enough, or this isn't. You know, people are not happy with like. It's、oh, an opinion. That's、yes. what a review is. Well, not to everyone. <laughs>、uh, and so I actually, one of the things I did was I actually went out. I I found us、uh, someone from UCLA to talk to me about. You know why? Why are people so mad? Why? How do they? Why do people get so heated, so passionate about reviews? And what came out of it was that really when you. Oftentimes, attack a game or seem like you're negative towards a game. That people often will associate themselves with that game. So、Ooh. I'm a. Back in the day, there used to be a thing, and it probably still is a thing, where people would be like, "Oh, I play Xbox. No, I play PlayStation." And there would be a heated debate about PC who, versus console, or PC versus console. Who was better at the end? And so. If someone came up with a positive opinion about Xbox, then or a PC or Nintendo or name your console,、uh, that people would get really heated and they would get really. Who gets mad? The the PS4 players get, get mad about yeah, or PlayStation. Get, exactly, but what's happening is that people. You often associate yourself with like the things you like, sure. And so you don't like it when people sort of start ragging on or start being negative towards the things that you sort of associate yourself with. Like if I was a person who, again, crunchy cereal, and、uh, you know another cereal, someone else was you know saying like I really love the soggy soppies. Nobody、uh, loves soggy soppies. Exactly. And that's where you be like, no one loves this cereal. You are wrong.、Because、I identify very, very identify much with, with Crunchy Crunch because if they're right, that means a part of me is wrong. Ooh. And if a part of me is wrong, then there could be other parts of me that's also wrong, and that really can't happen. So I would rather you, you know, be wrong in your opinion, the small opinion, but I'm going to attack you for it. Oh wow, that's so interesting. That our opinions are a part of ourselves, and when you insult, insult my opinion implicitly by by saying something else is better, it deeply wounds me. Yeah, I mean, if anybody ever rags on Game of Thrones, except for season eight, of course,、uh, <laughs> yeah, I do feel personally、right. offended. 
but there's, I mean, it, and, and this is, this is way more complicated than I have, I have sort of put together. I mean, there's, there's different layers to it and there's different things. Uh, it could, it could easily be like, you know, when you're saying things like, obviously, you know, last season of Game of Thrones, uh, oh, this is, this is terrible. But like, if someone comes back and is like, oh no, it, this is really the best season of Game of Thrones. I would say get out. You are so deeply wrong on so many levels, and I can't even get into it because I've done it too many times. It's too raw. Anyway. Exactly. But you sort of associate yourself with that idea that last season of Game of Thrones is not the best season of Game of Thrones. And then if anyone else, you know, said, you know, this is the best season, and if they could be right. Oh, no. Then... Then there's something, there's something, there's something inside of you that could be wrong. I did feel very upset when obviously Twitter blew up about some of the, even if you don't watch Game of Thrones, uh, the season eight plot developments that uh, people were angry about when people responded to my post saying, well, maybe you didn't see that this made sense in this context. I was outraged that they weren't also outraged. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that, so I see that's this phenomenon you're talking about. And it's, and it's a lot of, it's, it's a little bit of that. There's also like the, um, you know, being a part of different groups, you also will have like uh, different things that you will, you're allowed to say, or like things that you say that help you to associate yourself with the group. So again, you, you're a diehard Game of Thrones fan and you can easily say, you know, I've watched Game of Thrones and I can easily say that the last season is the worst season of Game of Thrones. But you also know that like other people within your group will also agree with you. Right. So what can we learn from this? And as it relates to content creation, how can we apply this? So with content creation that you're going to apply this to, I would say one of the things that, again, looking at the content that we're looking at, is to find other ways to get people into whatever you're talking about. Like, even if you don't like a game or if you do like a game, Maybe it's time to talk about the mechanics of the game. Maybe it's time to talk about the art or how the how the game is put together or how, you know, how things have come to this part. So even if you don't love the game or if you hate the game or if you have a feeling about the game, that you learn something from it. Like, what are you giving your audience whenever you make content? Right. Like, what is, what is that thing that you can hand over to them. Like, what is that bit of knowledge? What is that story? What is that thing that they can sort of walk away and be like, I'm glad I spent my time working on this? Yeah, I have a strong opinion that maybe is developed because of, through Game the Game, our need to have publisher sponsor our episodes to cover the overhead of having a big production and having a full team and having full-time editors and all of that. But for me, I'm not trying to tell people what to like exactly. because everybody likes different styles of games everybody has a different favorite game okay not everybody you know there's some right. there's some core classics but everybody gets something different out of a game based on their personal you know what lights you up what kind of interactions do you like to have while playing a game with your friends and so when i am covering a game i don't feel it's my responsibility to put my opinion of what my favorite type of game is on top of that. It's my responsibility to show everybody what this game does, who it could potentially be for, what things it's similar to, what could be interesting about it, and and show off 
the work that went into creating this thing. And people can often tell, I assume, whether or not it is in my personal wheelhouse. But but I'm not going to explicitly state that. Sometimes I will on this show, but not in my video content. Right. And it, and it does get tough. It does. I mean, that's that's a tough job to like go through like game after game after game in order to like make sure that you're showing the experience like everyone is is you know, at the table and they're ready and you do a good job of like making sure that, uh, you know, the, the game, people can see the game and get, see what kind of experiences they can get out of the game, whether or not that the game is for them or not, they can make that determination. Right. Cause some people find number crunching to be excruciating. I personally absolutely love it. <laughs> and that, yeah. And you'll see that when you, if you check out, skim through, skip to the end of, any episode of of my personal content that I put out there through Geek and Sundry, uh, but yeah. yeah, it's 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 stuff like that. It's it's the ability to sort of you know shed find new ways to approach games that I think is what's going to help grow a lot of not just content creators but also just you know gaming itself to help them find. Uh, help board games just find a new audience going forward, I think is people just need to know, like, these games are out there, even if it's like two, three, four, five, ten, fifteen years old. Like, if you haven't played it, it's new to you. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that isn't interesting. We we keep hearing this is a golden age of tabletop, which yes. it totally is because of the rise of crowdfunding platforms mm-hmm. and how the internet has changed how we're able to access games. Right. Um, and in in addition, in proportion to the amount of screen time we're all having, then the proportional need for us to have a way to interact in person with sure. our friends, I think, c- contributes to it. When do you think we'll see a, a peak also in the number of people that are playing tabletop games? I think we're still we're still looking into that. I, it was one of the same things that you know when I started with video games uh, again fifteen years ago. It was still very much a, this is sort of like a hobby thing. This is very much like, you know, you don't talk about it. Or like, you don't talk about it to people who are not playing board games. You're not, <laughs> like, you know where your your people are. You know where to, how to talk to them. Oh, I'm an evangelist. And But that's the whole thing. Like, I think board games need evangelists. They need champions. And we need champions to go out there and to just like talk to people. What about whatever board game it is? What experience do you want today? What do you want to do with your friends? Like what kind of, what do you need? Like, what do you like to do? What are, what are your hobbies? What are your likes, your dislikes? And then to help them find that game. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like the hottest, the newest, like let us, you know, let us get this, this game in your hands. It's, it's, it's them. It's like helping them find what kind of experience and what kind of things they want to do with games. And the same thing happened with video games where for a long time, it was like shooters, RPGs, uh, just over and over and over again. Right. The same style of game, just with this different skin slapped right. on it. Well, and, and, and it would be something, you know, something that would come up like the end of the year, the best of it'd be like, you know, here's, here's the, the newest sports game that's going to win. And, and so, what we did see like later on is that there was this sort of resurgence or rise of games like indie games 
where you people with like new stories and new ways to play games and new ways to experience things would start making these these smaller titles sometimes they'd be big sometimes they're small sometimes they're on your phone sometimes they're on an iPad sometimes they're on console but they would be these new experiences that you would never get anywhere else and it's these experiences that really i think bring people into gaming it's like there was a small game that i remember forever ago where it was like okay, goat simulator goat no sim- just kidding i don't no, i goat hate simu- goat simu- <laughs> simulator is a perfectly fine experience uh goat simulator was a game that was started by uh it was it was a joke it, it still is it is it well no it was a it was a game jam game. So a game jam is when people start to work on a game for 48 hours, a short period of time. And they wanted to just make like a goof. And so they made this game called Goat Simulator where they released a trailer of it on April Fool's Day. And they were like, this is our new game. Check it out. And everyone loved it. And they were like, well, I guess we're going to have to make this game now. Oh, no. Uh, but the other game I was thinking about is, you know, I remember a long time ago, there was this like small downloadable game. It was barely, it was in alpha. And it was like, okay, what do you do? And it's like, well, you're going to wind up on a desert beach. What was the name? And you're going to punch a tree. And you're like, they're like, what? What do you do? You punch a tree and then you're going to dig yourself into the ground and you're going to hold yourself up. Why am I holding myself up? Because at night, these little things come out. They're green. They hiss at you. And they explode if they see you. What are you talking about? I think I played this. And they would be like, well, does it look realistic? And I was like, no, there's like these big blocks everywhere. So everything is just like a cube. And people were like, oh, I don't. This is this is. This is small. It's not going to get anywhere. Wait, it's... you're talking about a big game, and you're doing a big lead up to it, and now I'm going to feel stupid when you say it. Sorry, Minecraft. go on. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. The blocks thing. Yes, the blocks, the blocks thing, thing was the giveaway. Yeah, and so it was. It was like it was a new sort of experience that you know people had never had before, and I feel like board games are servicing those new experiences. There are board games for just about anything that you could possibly do. There are board games that tell stories. There are board games like legacy board games that you play a limited amount of times. Oh yeah. Uh, there's board games that you only play one time. <laughs> uh, if you, it's one of those escape games. There are games that are cooperative narrative games. There are games that are, are competitive narrative games. Uh, Once Upon a Time is a great sort of uh, competitive narrative. Wait, of. tell me more about Once Upon a Time. I don't know it. So it's uh, Once Upon a Time, I think double check to make sure that I have that name right. But it's it's sort of a game where you have a uh, handful of cards and as you, someone's going to tell a story. And what you're going to do is you're going to use the cards that are in your hand to tell the story. And what you want to do is get to the very end of the, your hand. And, you know, and they live, you know, they there's a end card that has a moral to the story. But the whole idea of the game is that as you're telling the story, uh, I kind of, I always like my groups to cheat a little bit or to be a little bit more aggressive. And so we'll have like questions like, oh, you you said there was a castle. Would you say that this castle was made out of bricks? <laughs> and they might be like, well, 
No, it was made out of stone. And then you could be like, oh, that's funny because I happen to have a card here that says stone. So now I get to control the narrative. Ooh. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to tell a story that's not using other people's cards, but that you don't know what those cards are. And so you're constantly sort of like battling back and forth, trying to k- take control of the narrative. And it all has to make sense. So you can you can literally challenge someone if they're just rambling on, which I tend to do as well. <laughs> this says that uh, the winner is the first player to play out all of their cards yes. and end with their happily ever after card. It was created in 1993. Looks like the first publisher was Amigo. Later, it's been bought up by many other publishers, including Asmodee, one of the behemoths. Yes. Uh, but you, again, this was a game you didn't know was out there. This was a I game. Didn't, I didn't this even is, know. This is, an older, this is an older title that's that's going out there. And, you know, people, I, I feel like we need to champion. We need to champion not just games that are coming out, but older title, titles as well as... Indie new, developers. Indie developers, new experiences, even just the games themselves, just to get out there and to talk about them. Amazing. Well, Rob, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show and talk about all of these things, talk about content creation, where the industry's going, how this peak has come about. And I just want to leave our listeners with one final thought of what you would recommend to them. What do I recommend now, to Now, it doesn't have to be specifically a game, but it okay. could be if you want to do something within the industry and without, or if there's something you've been working on that you would like to champion. I actually would like to champion something else that I've been working on. Yeah, please. Uh, so there is a group called Take This, uh, takethis.org, uh, which is about... Uh, video games. It's gaming, not just video games, but it's gaming and uh, mental health. And so what they do is they have a great website. So if you want to learn about more about mental health and how that affects gamers, uh, it's a great resource to sort of go into and to find out more about it. Uh, one of the things that we are working on in the next couple of weeks is an RPG. So there is a module that will be on sale uh, that will focus on an adventure where you and your companions are off to save one of your own. Basically, a member of your party has fallen ill, and you don't know what to do. They they don't they they've they've sort of like just stopped functioning, but they're still alive. And what happens is that they are suffering from anxiety. So. With the help of a psychomancer, which is a new character class that's mm-hmm. going to be a part of this, you will dive deep into the mind of your character and you will battle against uh, uh, those anxiety. little anxiety demons that exactly. came into our heads. And so it's like a giant, it's a giant fight against anxiety. And the thing is, like, oh. you can go against it using your, you know, might and your weapons, but you can also use non combat in order to fight anxiety uh one of the things that we're also looking to do is that we're reaching out to a lot of content creators did i see that our friends over at the twitch channel hyper rpg are going to stream this module yes so they will be one of uh, a couple of other uh content creators who will be streaming the module and they will be joined by a psychologist afterwards to sort of walk them through anxiety and what it actually means. And it's sort of personal to me because a lot of content creators have to deal with anxiety and are dealing with burnout. Uh, The World Health Organization just uh, about a month ago 
uh, recognize burnout as uh, a disease that is affecting uh, a global-wide phenomenon. And so it is something that we have to look into. I was actually talking to uh, a friend of mine last night, and he, he mentioned that it's that millennials are most affected because we have this ethic that we have to just keep working all the time and never stop. And it's more than just, you know, lethargic. It's more than just anxiety. It's more than just depression. We're talking about, like, you know, higher risk of stroke because oh, wow. we are working ourselves to death. As a freelancer, As a freelancer. there's never a day off. And Absolutely. You feel this obligation to always, always, always be working. And most people I know in this industry feel that way. Right. And so I can definitely understand how burnout is becoming something of epidemic proportions. I do want to say that the International Classification of Diseases actually <laughs> calls it an occupational phenomenon, not a medical condition. It's, yes, um, but it is. has recognized it as as this phenomenon they that have, is. They, they have recategorized it since the previous time, so they have taken more of a serious look. Yes, at at burnout so as a, important as a serious thing, but it is. I, again, like you, you hit it on the head. Like as a freelancer, as someone who's doing four or five, six different jobs, it's not that you don't have a day off. You don't have a moment off, <laughs> or you don't allow yourself to. Exactly. You have to have a certain type of personality where yeah. you want to push all the time. It's funny. Chelsea Schwartz was a guest on the show a couple episodes ago, and I, I asked her how she does it all, and she sort of complimented me back, and because we both do a lot of things and both of our responses were sort of like with a laugh oh I'm exhausted all the time it's fine <laughs> which but is, it, a, but the thing is one of the three conditions it's, that's men it's, mentioned it's, it's, it's not fine it's absolutely <laughs> not fine like it is like I said like it is killing people so like, what is the answer what do we do in response that is that is I mean it is one of the things that I've been working on is to find out like new ways to like help content creators not just create content but create smarter content and be able to take what they make and slice it in different ways that it's meaningful across multiple platforms so if youtube or facebook or google just start you know taking away money from them that they have other sources that are their excuse me other ways for them to actually you know still make a living and not having to depend on like one source or one place that they can get their money. But it's, you know, it is self-care. Like a lot of the times that I'll put into the to the newsletter, it's like, okay, this this week we are talking about meditation and like how meditation can help you to sort of like relax. We're going to, uh, during this week, we're going to do uh, exercises that you can do for five minutes at your desk. Uh, this week we're going to learn about like living a healthy lifestyle. Like, it is, it basically comes down to we need to watch out for each other. We need to talk about burnout as a real thing because one of the ways that you can fight burnout is talk to other people about their burnout and how burnout affects them and that it is a real thing. And it is okay to talk to other people and say, hey, look, this is killing me. This is, this is way too much. I need a break. I need to stop doing this all the time. And it's, it's okay. It is absolutely okay if you're you not working 24-7. It's absolutely okay if you're not taking a fifth job or a sixth job. It is absolutely okay if you take care of yourself, if you sleep, if you drink water, if you, 
you know, exercise, if you go out for a run, if you meditate, if you just tell someone up, tell someone that you're upset and that you need help, it's okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much. Everybody at home, please take that advice to heart. Please remember to practice self-care and do all the things that Rob just mentioned, or at least one of them every day for just a little bit of time. Uh, And if you haven't yet subscribed to Rob's newsletter, it's Perfect Information, The Art of Content Creation. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Victory Points. Please like, subscribe, share, rate, do all the things for this podcast as well. Rob, thanks again for coming in. Thank you for having me. All right. See you guys next time. Bye. Bye.